Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. And now, your host, Harry Moser. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio and Harry Moser from Moser on Manufacturing. Uh, Harry, as you know, um, has been with our show for a while now. And I, I'd like, for those who don't know you, I think that you really know, need to know who he is. He's been around a long time, uh, not quite as long as me. Uh, you can tell by the color of my hair, my beard, and so on. Harry today is wearing a hat. He had a little bump on the head, uh, so we're not going to talk about that. But I want to let everybody know who Harry is all about. Harry is uh, the founder of uh, Reshoring Initiative, uh, bringing uh, manufacturing. This is a long thing, so it's going to take two, three minutes. Man initiative bringing manufacturing jobs back to the U.S., working for high-end machine tool manufacturers. Uh, starting as he started as a president of Haji Shamalis. <laughs> Charmi. Thank Charmi. you. <laughs> okay, so I got that wrong. Uh, that's only within the first 30 seconds. He started as president in 1985, retiring in uh, 1231.10. That's a good time to end the year uh, as chairman uh, emeritus. Uh, largely due to the success of Reshoring Initiative, Harry was inducted into the Industry Week Manufacturing Hall of Fame in 2010. That's quite a an accomplishment accomplishment and was named Quality Magazine's 2012, two years later, Quality Professional of the Year and Fab Shop Magazine Directs Manufacturing Person of the Year. Harry's participated actively in the President Obama's 1-11-2012 in-sourcing forum as the White House, uh, at the White House, won the Economist debate on outsourcing and offshoring, received the Manufacturing Leadership Council Industry Advocacy Report uh, Award in 2014, tell me when to stop, Harry, and the Made in America 2019 Reshoring Award. He was recognized by Sue Helper, the Commerce Department Chief Economist, as the driving force in founding the Reshoring trend and named the Commerce Department's Investment Advisory Council in August 2019. I'm skipping the next two years, Harry. We don't have that much time. So, Harry, welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Lou, it's, it's great. We, we've been doing shows for eight years or 10 years. Yeah, something like that. We used to do them maybe every two years, and now we do once a month. And it's once a month is more fun. So are you, that only shows that you're handsomely getting paid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be talking about Harry, who was at the IMTS, International Manufacturing Technology Show, that was just uh, passed. So this is a bit of a, a recap. So Harry, you got the floor. Okay. So this is for all those who, who didn't make it, and, and I guess for those who did, because a lot made it. There were uh, a total of 86,307 registrants. Now, a few of them probably don't show, but on the other hand, some exchange badges and such, so it's probably a reasonable number. And and it was important because there were, it had been four years, they didn't have one in 2020, 
And so there'd been four years of technology advancements uh, and changes like the workforce shortage and supply chain issues, lots of motivation for people to be there. So the, uh, the total registration included 11,715 students. So they have a student summit that has, I don't know, 40, 50 exhibits in it, put on to a significant extent by large companies, uh, ABB, Fanuc, Siemens, people like that. And, and, uh, and they had these kids get bussed in from the high schools and they, uh, they, they, they go wild over the technology that they see. So these, these are your and Lou's future workforce being motivated to join manufacturing. Uh, the, the, the total uh, registration was down about 40,000 from 20, the 2018 record, but most of the difference was in students and they couldn't get as many students in because the schools couldn't find bus drivers to drive the kids <laughs> into IMTS and international, especially Asian. So the, you know, the COVID restrictions, China, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you put all that together and, uh, but they still had, like I said, 86,000 plus people. And you can see, a, I, I think you can see the slide up there and it's a, uh, it's, it's a good, good crowd of people. Uh, yes. Uh, well, we have a lot of people showing up. A lot of people, you know, wandering around between machines and, and the, the show was really heavy on Tuesday, you know, just about as good as I've ever seen it. And I, I've been to 20 or 22 IMTS, so I've seen lots of them. And the, uh, on Tuesday was just about as crowded as I've ever seen. Monday was good. Wednesday was good. You know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday started to fall off. N normally on Saturday, you get a lot of the locals, you know, the people that maybe worked a 40-hour shift Monday through Friday, and they'd come in on Saturday to see what's going on. And, and they didn't show up as much as expected. We think because the, uh, the, the shops were so busy, they were still working on, working on Saturday. Okay. Uh, overall, I talked to a bunch of exhibitors. I probably visited 50 exhibits. And quite almost to the, to, the, to the man or the woman, they said, yeah, the quantity's not quite as good as 2018, but the people came, who came had money in their pocket. They were seriously looking for equipment. They weren't just tire kickers. So, so, so I think overall quite successful. They had a 1.2 million square feet, 1,800 exhibitors. You know, really quite a quite a show. It's it's the it's the single biggest show of any kind in America this year. So uh, that's because the consumer product show or whatever you call it didn't happen this year, which allowed IMTS to rise up and and be number one. It's quite a crowd there, Harry. 86,000 yeah. 86, people in any show is big. Yeah, yeah. So overall, they were AMT that puts it on was uh, was pretty happy with it. I'm sure. Okay, so uh, what what trends did you see there, Harry? But connectedness. So both both the connectedness of people because they hadn't seen each other for four years. I mean, it's, it's right. wonderful. You walk through like. Like there's the bridge that goes across from uh, east to north to the to north south, and that goes from south over to west. Right. You walk along there. I walk along there, and probably because they've seen me on your show, Lou. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like I'd like to think that every twentieth or thirtieth person that came across, I knew. 
And they come over and say, hi, Harry. I'd say, hi, Bill. You know, it's it, it really good to see him. So connectedness from a people viewpoint, but also connectedness of machines and robots and computers, you know, the, the industry 4.0, you know, IT, all this kind of thing of, of getting, getting the, uh, getting the, the machines to do the work without, without, without people having to do quite so much. Um, okay. There we go. Okay. So you can see me again. I can uh, see you again. So, so one thing we saw was a lot of robots because, because everybody's short of people and, and, and some of the work is, can be hard, you know, lifting heavy things, et cetera, and rep repetitive. And it's better for people to do more thoughtful kind of things, more analytical. And so lots of robots, you know, I'd say every, every significant booth had a robot of some kind in it. But, but increasingly, cobots, okay, C-O-B-O-T-S. So, so right. the, little, the little robots that started with Baxter, and now you've got Universal and you've got, you know, a, a dozen other ones like that. But they're slick little things that you can, you know, put down and, and, and have it right there in the, in the workplace, right on the bench next to you, because they move slowly enough that nobody gets hurt. And, and one of the very popular applications this year was machine loading. You know, so instead of having somebody sit there and do this, you know, putting work pieces into the chalk, the robot does that. And... You know, if that means a, a, that a, a worker can be responsible for six machines instead of two, well, then that's that's great because that that makes the U.S. competitive enough so we can keep the work here instead of losing it somewhere to offshore. So, so robots was certainly an important uh, part of the show. So that's a that's part of the big trend. Big trend is, is robots, I'd say. Yeah. What what other trends did you see? What's number two? I say connectedness was, I'd say was number one, robots, number two, but the robots, of course, are connected. Right. Uh, uh, additive. I, I never, it used to be we had three or four additive companies, maybe four years ago, four or five, you right. know, but now everybody has additives, you know, and, and the, like Hewlett Packard, you know, which you don't think of as a machine tool company, right. makes, makes an additive machine. And 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 a lot of the the bigger machine tool makers have a maybe an additive uh, option on their machines. They might come in and and, and maybe you got a repair part of some kind, and you come in, you do a little additive to build it back up, and then you come in and uh, turn it or mill it to get it back to to design spe uh, specs. Mm -hmm. So so additive everywhere. Um, you know, I, I've always been a bit of a doubter in that I. I look around me and I see most things that I use at my home, in the car, you know, whatever, you, you can't make on additive because it, it isn't, it's too expensive and doesn't get the surface finish or the accuracy. But darn, they're selling the hell out of them and people, they keep getting better and people keep finding new applications for them that are more in the production area instead of just the prototyping area. And so it's, it's, it's keeps coming. It has a lot of momentum. In 2013, a gentleman by the name of James Barrett wrote a book called The End of the Human Race, Our Last Great Invention. And clearly it had a lot to do with, and maybe even more so now, nine years later, 
is what you're talking about, robotics and AI and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of the uh, workers today, you mentioned it a moment ago about uh, a, a techie on the floor, machinist operating two machines, and now he's operating six machines. So yes, we have a shortage in workforce, particularly in manufacturing, but are people still concerned that they're going to be losing their jobs? Yeah, I, well, you know, I'd, I'd say no. I think I, I, I was on LinkedIn yesterday and, and, and a fellow came on and he was complaining that he doesn't make enough money as a, mm. as a machinist, you know, and, and I, 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 and he didn't say what he was making. So, but I, I mentioned that there are certainly a fair number of good, you know, very top kind of machinists who with overtime can make 70 to $100,000 a year. And, and that the, the average income, the median income of people who have a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree is about 72,000. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and, and he said, yeah, but, but, but I got to work a lot of overtime to make that kind of money. And I said, but the people who are making 70 to 100,000 as white collar workers, they're working overtime. They're just not getting paid for the overtime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so I, I said, yeah, we'd love, love to, I think it'd be great if we could pay you more. But if, but if, um, if you think that you're that good and you think that you're missing out on your share of the profit, go out and start a shop or buy a shop, become a partner. And then you'll get the part the profit share. And and some people who do that come out do great and some people go bankrupt. And, you know, and, and so you gotta decide. But it happens. But if you think there's a lot of money being left on the table, go out and pick it up for yourself. <laughs> uh one of the things that happened at the uh at the IMTS was uh, the National Manufacturing Reshoring Award. So do we yeah. have the name of that individual company? Okay, so we talked about cobots a minute ago. Here's a, yep. this, this robot here, the green and white thing, is, is a uh, a cobot that's that's doing uh, machine load, workpiece loading. So it's going in there, putting something down, picking something up, coming back out, putting it back on the table. You know, and it's safe enough that it doesn't have to have all the guarding and the light shielding and everything around it that we're we're used to seeing around robot so it's not as fast but but when you know the difference might be between I mean, i'm just guessing 15 seconds versus 30 seconds to get the job done and and if you only do it once every half hour that doesn't make any difference uh, and especially when you got a robot that's relatively inexpensive in comparison to the big industrial ones with all the shielding and stuff around them mm -hmm. so i want to show you that and then uh i'm going to take you down and show you another one here so so this this is the uh, uh, the award uh, awarding of the uh, the T-shirt. So the manufacturing is cool T-shirt like I have on now, uh, and it was awarded to Hardinge. So Hardinge Inc. And I think they started manufacturing machine tools in the in. 1890 or some such so long long time 130 years something like that and over the last two years they've brought back the production of their mill and lathe line from taiwan to elmira new york where they're headquartered so a real solid case of 
uh, metalworking reshoring, in fact, metalworking equipment reshoring by a good uh, AMT member, IMTS exhibitor. And, uh, <clears throat> and so this is, so because they'd done that, they, they earned the manufacturing is cool t-shirt, which Lou is going to earn when he reshores something. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you'll get the yellow canary yellow jacket. <laughs> it's worth a trade-off. <laughs> so, uh, more questions, Lou. So, uh, what what fun did you have there aside from walking? How many square feet? And how oh, many manufacturing my, companies? My hours and hours every day. So. Uh, so overall, a lot of fun. The you know, just it's just wonderful fun to see the friends, the people that were my customers or my colleagues when I worked. People I know through the industry would have loved to have seen you there. The uh, I get that around here. So uh, I, I had uh, three evening social events. You know where people were putting something on. I got free food. Drink, you know, so that's good. And talk and to of people. Course. Yeah, I made I made six presentations. Yeah, uh, so on on Wednesday, I think I I got rid of my fancy black business shoes and switched to jogging shoes because my feet were starting to hurt. I can imagine. <laughs> and, so and, and and that was uh, that was okay. Um, the, so what was your what was your uh, presentations about? Give us kind of a it was, it was always, always about reshoring there's a uh, gar gardener which puts on modern machine shop and you know 10 other mag machining ma manufacturing magazines right so it's a learning bar and i presented there and then i presented hanover mesa had the the seminar the seminars of the you know the individual presentations in the west building and i presented there that was an hour and then we had the top TOP, the onshoring project, had an event in uh, on Friday, and I'm going to pull that up here, a slide up for that. So here's Harry um, speaking at the Smarter Sourcing Symposium. So smarter sourcing means OEMs when you decide where to get the product, you know, where to what machine shop to go to, what you know, tool maker to go to, etc. Be smarter and think about total cost of ownership, which I presented on. That's my specialty. And then uh, uh, Ryan Kelly uh, from AMT presented on uh, uh, manufacturing critical path time, which is a time from when you order to you receive the product and, and how companies can improve that and how by getting that time down to the shortest possible, you can reduce your inventory and still have good availability so you don't stock out. And that obviously the best place to source and have very quick delivery is is as close as possible to where your assembly plan is. So therefore, reshore and source in the U.S. to to minimize that factor. So so we were it, it went well. We had very very nice group there. Also had uh, Kathy Ma, who's a vice president at uh, Thomas, which is now owned by Zometry, and she did a, a great presentation. And we had. Uh, uh, you know, I, I had uh, Bill Barry. Bill is the uh, president, president and owner of Ditech and Engineering in Wyoming, Michigan, and he's he's done a great job of 
um, minimum, reducing the time it takes him to deliver. I, th I think he does die casting dies and, and plastic injection molds. And he's gotten his, his delivery time down. Let's say, let's say the industry normal is 12 weeks. He can do it in maybe eight weeks, but he still quotes 12 and gets the orders. And, <laughs> and then when someone comes in and they're desperate for something, okay, and, 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 it's, and if that company already has a mold or a die in his production schedule, he can say, yeah, I can do that. I'm still going to deliver the other one in, in 12 weeks instead of eight weeks but I can slide the new one in there and make you really happy. And, and I think he then charges them for the, uh, the privilege of getting that new one out so fast. <laughs> so so by, do, by being really fast and being able to do things faster than the other guys in the industry, he creates both more, gets more work and creates some excellent profit opportunities. So he did, he did a presentation. He's a good friend. I used to sell him lots, lots of machines when I was at Agi Charmy which is now GF Machining Solutions. Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, you, you walked the floor enough to at least hurt your feet to the point that you put on your uh, running right. shoes. Yep. Uh, did you hear much in the way of things that we hear in the news almost every day? And that is about uh, job shortage, uh, supply chain, uh, uh, logistics and so on. Did you hear much of that? Certainly, the the workforce shortage. Yeah, everybody was talking workforce shortage, which is why everybody was talking robots and automated machinery and pallet loaders and things like that. So right. the uh, that that was clear. And the supply chain, uh, I believe, uh, in general, the supply chain issue isn't as bad today as it was nine months ago. You don't have as many boats at the dock, et cetera. So, so, and people have figured out how to work their way around things. And, and in fact, I'm starting to read articles about companies having too much inventory now, like Walmart and Target had, had stock went down a lot because they announced that they had way too much inventory. So, right. so, so people overordered, we're seeing that the bullwhip effect where everybody overorders, they double order because they, they're desperate. And now all of a sudden it comes in and now you have too much, you know? And uh, so, so supply chain, yes. Um, current, current supply chain getting better, but a, a lot, everybody seemed to understand the risk of future supply chain disruption. If something, if, if the, the fit hits the sham, in uh, in Taiwan and China, if, if they start uh, lobbing missiles at each other, and we get involved, then then that's gonna nothing's nothing's gonna come out of China for six months, a year, years. Companies companies here are gonna go bankrupt because they can't because they're so dependent on that. And so we we suggest that to avoid those future supply chain disruptions, that companies should. Uh, uh, to do the math, use our TCO estimator to do the calculation, bring back what you can, find shops like Lou's here to, to make things for you now. So, and so that even if you don't get everything back, at least you have a good supply base in the US. And then if something does go wrong and nothing's coming in from China and Taiwan, then you can at least go to your good supply base and say, could you make some, th some more things for me? Whereas if, you're, if you haven't given 
the U.S. companies the time of day to make something for you now, they're going to ignore you when everything goes to hell. So, so get on out there and buy something. <laughs> so uh, not to sway too far off of the IMTS recap, you yep. did mention Taiwan. And I, I'm, I've been a news junkie for uh, over 50 years. And I've been doing a lot of research and study. And you brought up about Taiwan. Uh, my belief is that we've got a serious potential going on there. Uh, are you hearing any of this in real time with the manufacturers about the issues and how it's going to affect, particularly the fact that semiconductors, 66% uh, of semiconductors that come into this country come from, come from Taiwan? Yeah, and we're going to be building. We are going to be building, and there's the Chip Act where they're going to, the U.S. government's going to be investing a lot of money into uh, chips. Uh, that's not going to happen anytime in the near near term. But what's what are you hearing? What's going to go on? How badly is this going to affect manufacturing and uh, you know general economic terms in terms of the U.S. Well, people I run into are aware of the issue. They're aware that there could be something catastrophic happen, war, war over Taiwan. Um, the thing they don't have any idea of is how likely is it to happen this year, the next five years, the next 10 years? Because that's hard for, if you're a shop owner or you're, even if you're the, the, you know, the head of a you know, $100 million a year company, the, how do you figure that out? And and so what I, I, I'm always looking for studies and surveys on that, which we, if, and we, we make them available, we let people see them. So there was, a, there was a survey done of the Taiwanese people and asked them, they were asked how likely is war with China? And 7% and said, for sure it's gonna happen. And 21% said, quite likely to happen. And then the other, other percentages coming out here. Right. So, so and and the survey I don't think the survey said this year next year five years yeah the the Chinese have said uh, we will it is our destiny to reunify the country we, we will do it and they're pretty good at doing what they say they're going to do the I I read an article by U.S. generals um, quoting U.S. generals saying that their analysis of China's military strategies says that China plans to be ready by 2027. So that's five years from now. So, so I mean, given the, and, and these things could happen, this could happen intentionally, you know, China sends a million people and a <laughs> hundred boats and a thousand planes and yeah, right at one, bam, or it could be in these military exercises that are going on over there that, Somebody makes a mistake. Planes get too close. They crash into each other. One thinks the other's going to attack them, and they fire a rocket. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. So, so it's it could be intentional and it could be accidental, and and, and nobody knows what the probability is. But I do know that the the safest solution is to make as much as you can in the U.S. And and if that isn't economically feasible, then 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 Mexico or Canada. To, to do it. Well, all that being said, just uh, one point to what you mentioned was that China now has the largest navy in the world. 
So it's very conceivable that there could be an accident, keeping our fingers crossed that that wouldn't happen. But the point is, uh, we need to be investing, I think, I think that we need to be investing more money, more dollars, more people into the products that are coming out of China, Taiwan, and so on, so that we don't have to rely on Taiwan as much as we have been. And the fact that we are building new um, uh, semiconductor plants and so on is a very important factor to this point. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I, I endorsed, we, we signed on to the, to the CHIP Act and, and said right. that's a good idea. But, but it's because the U.S. has fallen so far behind and we need to act now. But my, my fear, and we may have talked about this in one of the other shows, my, yeah. fear, my fear is that we and everybody else are building multiple chip foundries. And when they're all finished in three years, there's going to be an excess of chips. The price is going to collapse. <laughs> okay? And then and our chips are going to be the most expensive to make because of labor costs, building construction costs, regulations, everything else. And then we're going to have all this capacity and we're going to have to sell the chips to China to make <laughs> electronic devices to sell back to us. And if they're unhappy with us, they're not going to buy our chips. They're going to buy their own chips, which are cheaper anyway. And so so what I have told the government is that we should, if, if since we're going to push the chip foundries, we should bring back the production of the electronic devices that use the chips. We should bring back more appliances, more infotainment systems for cars, more electronic medical devices, servers, all this kind of stuff, so that our foundries, our chip foundries, will have a market for the chips. Right. <laughs> you would think that that would be part of the plan. But it isn't. They're doing the chips, and but not, and doing chips, and maybe some of the materials that go into the chips, but I have, I've seen nothing about, um, about the use of the chips. And I, I have seen a bill that IPC, which is a group that, that the, the Trade Association for the Printed Circuit Boards, that they, they've got a bill in Congress that would subsidize the production of printed circuit boards. And that's one of the big uses of chips. But, but, but that's not enough, because if, if you do that and, and your printed circuit boards are too expensive, nobody's going to want to buy them. <laughs> you know, so, so, so we say you got to get a much better skilled workforce and you got to get the dollar down. Dollar keeps going up. I want it to go down by 30% so the U.S. will be competitive. Well, you, you work on that, Harry. You're, you're <laughs> a good guy. You can do that. So, I want to show you one more thing here. Sure. You, you might be getting ready to go. So can you see that picture? Yeah, I do. Okay. So th that's Harry sitting there uh, with his bald head. And this is right outside IMTS. And um, I was being uh, videotaped uh, as I was being interviewed by Phil LeBeau on CNBC uh, on the subject of uh, batteries and, and where the battery factories are going in the the EV battery factories are going. So we did a study for CNBC, had this interview, and sometime in the next week, I think, week, two weeks, that'll be on uh, CNBC and you'll you'll see me uh, sitting there. <laughs> okay. I, I hope that uh, the green bushes behind you won't look like the top of your head but, uh, <laughs> should be that so you, you sort of jumped my question here about how much national coverage did you get while you were there well we got the big national coverage the, the two weeks before so we had a uh, 
there's an article in, on uh, page A2, so the second page of the Wall Street Journal, half-page article, had our data. We had just put our first half data report and a lot of quotes from, from Harry. And, and as a result of that, the rest of the media picked it up. And it, within a week and a half, I had interviews with um, NBC, Fox Business, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Politico, and manufacturing talk radio. Manufacturing talk radio, yeah. And uh, and so so that was great. And and it's important because it it, um, it I, I'm pretty good at getting the attention of the job shops. You know, people like yourself. And and but it, as as you get up to bigger and bigger OEMs, it's awfully hard for me to get the attention of the of the vice president of general motors kind of thing right and, right and 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 so lots of visibility on these big time national media starts to get their attention you know some of them are going to read it and say you know that makes sense we we, we really ought to do that and then and, and and so you know by myself i can you know through you what we might reach hundreds of thousands but but through the national media we can reach millions okay this is true this is true Harry, this was uh, great. Uh, I'm glad that you were here and give us a little recap on the IMTS. Uh, and we're going to be looking forward to having you month in and month out. And uh, I love the American flag behind you. Uh, the T-shirt, I'm still putting in points to get it. Give us a little stand up there. Wait a minute. There we go. Oh, there it is. It's a cool T-shirt. All right, so you get another 10 points for this show towards your canary yellow jacket. What size do you wear, Harry? 42, 43, something like that. Regular or short? Long, no, you're, too, you're, too, you're too tall for short. I'm 6'2". <laughs> oh, my goodness. 6'2". I don't know anybody 6'2". Uh, Harry, this was great. I appreciate your being on the show and giving us a bit of a um, a recap on what went on uh, last week, week and a half ago. And so I encourage anybody who didn't get there, uh, and it's going to be back in 2024, and and it's going to be bigger and better. And, and I, I love I love the event, and I look forward to seeing all, all of you there. So give us your URL for those who don't know you, which there may be five or six people. <laughs> so uh, reshorenow.org. Okay, that works. Or you can reach out to Mosher on Manufacturing at Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can address that to L.A. Weiss at MFGTalkRadio.com, and I can forward it on to Harry because I use any excuse I can to talk to Harry. <laughs> Harry, it's been great. Thanks much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.